welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, why not check out our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Hi, everyone. My name is Ruth, and I have the privilege of being part of the preaching team here at Birmingham Vineyard. Now, today, we are carrying on with our series of talks. Oh, there we go. Pause for dramatic effect. Well, our series is all about waiting. They didn't do that on purpose, by the way. (laughs) The series is called, What Are We Waiting For? And it's looking at this book in the Bible, 1 Thessalonians, Paul's letter to the early believers in Thessalonica. So the series is called, What Are We Waiting For? And we wait for all kinds of things in our lives, and the way that we wait matters. Maybe you can think back to something that you've been waiting for just recently. Uh, Maybe you've just come to the city as a new student and you had to wait and prepare for that. Maybe some of you might have changed school years and you've been waiting after the summer holidays and thinking, oh, I have to go back to school. Maybe some of us have been waiting for a celebration. All of us wait for different things in our lives. Now, you can be the kind of person who is very active and eager in your waiting and you like to count down for things. Or maybe you're the kind of person who's just a little bit like, I'll just take it when it comes. Well, no surprise, I am the kind of person who really likes to be prepared. I really like to count down before things are going to happen, because I like to be ready, mostly. And five years ago, uh, my daughter left home to go to university in Northern Ireland. And when she was getting ready to leave, oh, who was giving a shout out to Northern Ireland? Yes, shout out to Northern Ireland, absolutely, (laughs) yeah. Well, when when we were getting ready for her to go, um, there was lots of planning. There was the planning of what we would pack, the planning of the meals. And I can remember just this sense of being excited for her, but also just feeling so sad that she was going and the clock was ticking and the moments were going and she was going to go. There was nothing I could do to hold that back that moment. And indeed, the moment did come and indeed, I did cry and indeed, she was fine and she still lives out in Northern Ireland now. So I still wait. I wait for the time that I'm going to see her again, God willing. Right now, at this moment, I don't know exactly when that moment is going to be. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. So the question is, how do I wait right now when I can't count it down because I don't know when that moment is? Well, the part of Paul's letter we're going to look at today, the church in Thessalonica were in a similar kind situation. Let's try that again. A similar kind of situation because they were waiting for someone too. They were waiting for Jesus to return. So this letter was written about 50 years after Jesus died and ascended to heaven. And the believers were really eagerly waiting, trying to count down 
when is he going to come back? And so they've written and they've asked Paul a question about this. And this is what Paul says in response. And we're going to read quite a long chunk of it now. It's going to come up on the screens and we'll follow it through. So this is what Paul says to them when they're asking, when's Jesus going to come back? He says this, now, concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write to you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. You won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief, for you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to the darkness and night. So, be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert, be clear-headed, Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up, just as you are already doing. This passage is a wake-up call to us. It's supposed to do this. Because we too are waiting for Jesus to return, just like the church in Thessalonica. But perhaps... Unlike the church in Thessalonica who were going like, when, when, is it now, is it now, is it today, is it tomorrow? Perhaps us, we're not quite as actively, eagerly anticipating that day as they were. Perhaps we don't even think about what the day of the Lord is. Perhaps we don't know what it means. Perhaps we don't see it as relevant. Perhaps for some of us, it might even provoke quite negative emotions. But actually, the Bible has a great deal to say about the day of the Lord. In fact, there are over 300 prophecies about the return of Jesus. 23 of the 27 books in the New Testament talk about the return of Jesus, and Jesus himself talked about this with his disciples. So perhaps we should indeed wake up and understand better what the day of the Lord means. Can I just check? Do I sound okay? Okay. It's just me and my ears sounds odd, but we will ignore that and we will continue thinking about what the day of the Lord means. So I think the most helpful way to understand the day of the Lord is to put it in the context of the whole story of the Bible. So can we have the slide that shows that? Thank you so much. Um, Kelly, can you just leave it up there until we get through to the bit where it next says slide? So we start in the story of the Bible as this picture shows us with creation, with this wonderful picture of the world as God designed it to be, us in good relationship with him, with each other, and with the world around us. But then with the fall, Adam and Eve sin. They take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They decide what's going to be right and wrong for themselves. 
Their sin starts this endless pattern of destruction, corruption, devastation happening as a result of their sinful choices. But God's response was not just to say, okay, fine, I'm going to leave you to it. His plan was to come and to redeem the world, to deal with the problem of sin and evil. So God is both pure love and perfectly holy. He's both a God of grace and a God of justice. And he loves us and he loves our world. And he absolutely hates evil and he absolutely hates sin and the consequence of that. His solution to that sin is to deal with it himself. And he did this through Jesus, who laid down his life in order to deal with the judgment for sin for all people, for all time. And in his resurrection, he dealt with the power of evil itself. So the offer that he gives every single one of us is that very good news that Paul reminds us about at the end of the passage we've just read about when he says, for God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us, whether we are alive or dead, when he returns, we can live with him forever. But even that wonderful good news is actually not the end of the story that the Bible tells. The end of the story is restoration, and that is when God is going to come and make all things new. And that is what John gives us a glimpse of in the last book of the Bible in Revelation, where he describes the new heaven and the new earth. It's that moment, the moment when Jesus comes again, the day of the Lord, when the new heaven and the new earth will appear that we are still waiting for. So when Jesus came, he started the new kingdom, he inaugurated it, but the end of that, when all things are made new, has not yet happened. We are in the in-between time. We're in the penultimate chapter before we get to the end conclusion. And honestly, when we look around us, when we look at just the horrendous crimes and when we look at the terrible suffering, surely we can't look at that without feeling also this great cry for justice and a great cry that God will come and make all things right. Our problem is that we humans, we just can't manage it. Clearly, look at the last 2,000 years. We're not making a good job of it. We need God as a good judge to come and bring justice and remove corruption from the world. So seeing through the cross of Jesus, the prospect of the day of the Lord is really good news, full of hope. It's the moment that we long for when God is going to come and he is going to set all things right. Yes, come on, come Lord Jesus. But without the cross of Jesus, quite frankly, the present is bleak and the future is terrifying. And right now, in this in-between passage, in-between time, what the passage tells us is that there are still some people who are in the dark about the good news that Jesus announced. So what are we to do in this in-between time? How are we to wait? What now? So let's come back to our text. Paul's advice and Jesus himself said, we don't need to know the details of precisely how or when that day is coming, but rather the fact that that day is coming should wake us up. 
Oh, I can't stop it. I really can't stop it. It should do wake us up. It should really wake us up. We need to be ready, alert, and prepared. That's what Jesus repeatedly told his disciples to do. So the day of the Lord is a wake-up call. I'm not going to do that again because <laughs> it's going to deafen us all. Um, the wake-up is a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call in all sorts of ways. Firstly, it's a wake-up call to us that what we see in front of us in our lives right here and now is not all there is. It reminds us that the things that we might trust to bring us peace and security will get shaken away. Governments get shaken away. Money gets shaken away. Even our relationships will get shaken away. None of those things can deal with our sin. Only Jesus can do that. So the day of the Lord, that alarm call is to wake up call, to turn to him. The day of the Lord also reminds us that actually our lives here on earth are very short, but they're part of this much bigger story that's happening in eternity. And what we do here in this in-between time really matters. We can choose to partner with God with releasing his kingdom, or we can choose not to do that. We can go into autopilot. We can even drift off to sleep. And there can be a real danger, I think, a false sense of security. Think that we've got all the time in the world when the reality is we don't know how much time we have. We should use what we have right in front of us. Now, I really love to listen to Simon Gilbo's podcast series, Inspired. Um, where could we just get the picture up of him? Thank you because it'll help you know what I'm recommending. I really love this podcast series. I wholeheartedly recommend it to you if you need some encouragement and to strengthen your faith. It's fantastic. And in this particular episode, Simon Gilbo was interviewing Phil Knox. So Phil Knox is the head of mission to the young adults for the Evangelical Alliance. And Phil was telling some of his life story, which was actually that when he was quite young, his father died of heart disease. And then more recently, Phil himself had been diagnosed with that very same heart disease. And at the end of the series, Simon talked to Phil and he says, so what difference does that make to you? And honestly, rather than saying, oh, this is terrible, I feel very depressed, actually, his reply was quite breathtaking. And he says that what it produces in him is this real sense of urgency, that the days he has matter. And Simon Gilbo, in turn, reflects upon how that was similar to his own experience. So Simon Gilbo um, spent a, a long period of time out in Burundi in a war zone there. Um, and I'm just going to read you what he writes about that in his book, because his words put it really well. He says, when you live in a war zone, you think regularly about dying. Out here in Burundi, we see death. We are regularly confronted by death. And it focuses my mind on what really matters. It refines and it defines my priorities. It puts into context my petty obsessions. And so the prospect of imminent death can actually have a very positive impact on my life. I don't dwell on it, but it's always there in the shadows. Yet although not many people live in such extreme circumstances, we may not all be living in a literal war zone. All of us are involved in a spiritual war zone. You and I need to recognize that there is a battle going on for our hearts. 
And he goes on to say, our guard is so often down and we seldom protect our hearts. We let almost anything in. Where is the vigilance? Where is the discernment? Where's the scrutiny? Our hearts are too precious to treat with such indifference. Now, when I read those words, when I hear them, even when I read them out to you, I am profoundly challenged. And I think to myself, where do I need to guard my heart? Perhaps where do we need to guard our hearts? It's a strong word, and it calls us, as Paul does in our passage today, to be on your guard, not asleep like the others. You need to stay alert and be clear-headed, because night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let those of us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. So what does it mean to do that? Well, firstly, let me make the point that when Paul is talking about wearing armor, he's not talking about us being in the kind of battle that you see on earth where people fight with weapons and destroy each other with force. That is not what he's talking about. He says in another letter that we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. The armor that Paul describes in his letter that protects our hearts and minds of faith, hope, and love. I am wearing the message for you today. That is why, although I am very cold, I am wearing this t-shirt because it has the message on it. It says, love wins. When we do that, when we put on love, when we put on faith, when we put on hope, we follow the example of Jesus. When he came to earth, he didn't come to have a big battle. He overthrew all the powers of darkness by laying down his life, by dying for us and offering a hope that is secure. Faith, hope and love. That's what we need. We need it inside us and the world around us needs it so much. We need it inside us. We need to put faith over our hearts. When our hearts and minds get stifled and silenced by fear and unbelief. We need to put love over our hearts. When judgment and criticism and hatred and offense threaten to bring division and to blind us to how Jesus sees us in the world around us. We need to put on hope and the confidence of salvation against disappointment and against despair. Our country, it desperately needs faith, hope, and love. The statistics around mental health, they are heartbreaking. Five children in every classroom have a probable mental health problem. Suicide. Do you know, it's the, le- it's the leading cause of death for those aged between 5 and 34. Domestic abuse crimes in the UK, they rose by 6% last year. So something like one in four, every pe- person will have experienced at least one abusive act in a current or in a previous relationship. Modern slavery affects 40 million people globally. 
And in the UK alone, the number of people reported part of modern-day slavery, that's quadrupled in the last decade. I've just told you a lot of numbers, but behind every single number is a person and their story. There really is great darkness around us. There are many people who need the hope of Jesus who don't yet know about it. There was a recent report by the Evangelical Alliance about the state of faith in the UK, and they found that 6% of the population are practicing Christians. So that means that 9 out of the 10 people that you interact with every single day, they don't know about Jesus. They're in the dark, or maybe they've fallen asleep about it. And that presents us with a huge challenge. Now, today's talk is a big, tricky topic. And so I spent a long time praying when I was preparing because I just really wanted to ask God what his heart was, what he really wanted to try and convey to us. Um, And this is what I felt like he said. So hear this as God speaking to, to me and to us, I think. My heart is to make all things new for the pain and destruction in people's lives and in the world around you to end. Every time I see sickness and abuse and injustice, my heart breaks and I am longing, longing to do something about this, even now, so that everyone has the chance to be free from sin and the dreadful effects it has on each person and each part of the world I've created. And I have chosen you to be part of my rescue work. It's what I've made you for. This is the time I've made you for. This is the place I've made you for. There is great darkness and many people are sleeping. So will you go for me? Will you let my light shine in you and through you so that they can wake up and be rescued? Will you stand for me and for my kingdom so that when the time comes, the home I prepared for every single person will be full? So the question is this, will we wake up and go into the dark and take the light of Jesus' hope and love there? Well, we can do this in all kinds of ways. So I told you, I'm wearing the message, and it's not just the T-shirt. So maybe putting on faith, hope, and love means making Jesus look visible. Maybe it means putting on a high-vis jacket, a bit like one of these. You can join our Healing on the Streets team. Go out on the streets praying for people. Or maybe it looks like, now this is why I started off in a t-shirt, not just to wear the message because I thought I might get hot. Um, Maybe it looks like putting on another kind of jacket to make Jesus' love visible out on the streets. Join our city pastors team where we go out into the south side district, the west side district. Maybe it means joining another ministry that doesn't have a jacket. I couldn't put on a food bank bag. That would look ridiculous. But there are lots of other ways we can make the faith, 
hope and love of Jesus visible with food bank and grow baby and safe families and lots of other ways that we can both very practically and supernaturally take light into dark places. Oh, and this, I told you I was wearing the message and I forgot to tell you what this is on my head. Um, it's actually my Eson beanie. So um, the Encounter School of Mission is a course that you can uh, join and go, basically it equips you to have a mindset that everywhere you are, Jesus is just waiting to encounter that person in front of you. Um, yeah. I'm also putting on these jackets and this hat not just to tell you about the different ways that our church does this, but also it's a really good reminder that our heads and our hearts are the places where we make decisions. They're the places where we can ask God to come, wake up our prophetic imagination so that we can see things in front of us the way that he does, so that we can see the darkness and actually reimagine it all made new. See it transformed as one day it will be when he comes again and makes everything new. And this matters every day, in every decision, every situation. He has given us faith, hope and love as the resources that can transform atmospheres, situations, tear down preconceptions and false thinking that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. You see, the way that you and I choose to respond when difficulty comes, when that irritating person, that difficult person is front in front of us, when there is mess in front of us that needs to be cleared up. <laughs> All those little decisions, they are moments where we can reach out and transform things and wage war, not as the world does, but come respond with faith, hope, and love, their opportunities where you can be alert and point Jesus to the hope, point people to the hope we have in Jesus. So the passage we've been looking at ends with the instructions to encourage each other. So let me end by encouraging you that we are not in this alone. In Paul's letter, it's very clear that the presence of the Holy Spirit was made a tremendous difference to them, and so it is with us. As we live in anticipation of meeting Jesus, as we live making the most of the time we have, the best way we can do that is to be filled with his spirit. And we can encourage each other by praying for each other. Paul later encourages the church in Colossians to tell them to pray as intercessors who are fully alert, giving thanks, pray that God will open doors of opportunity so that we can preach the revelation of the mystery of Christ. We need to pray for our friends, our colleagues, the people around us. We need to pray for those doors of opportunity to open and then we need to be alert and then we need to step into them. Let me share with you a really simple line that I use in lots of conversations. It goes like this. I'm just learning how to pray. Is there anything I can pray about for you today? And I will tell you, nine out of ten people will say yes. And when they say yes, tell you what they'd like prayer for, I then say, and you can say, would it be okay with you if I pray right now? And I will tell you, nine out of ten people, in my experience, this is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times now, will say yes. And then you just pray for them. It is not that hard. You just pray. Short prayer, keep your eyes open, leave the rest to God. 
I encourage you, do it. And let me give you a reminder to do it. You can set a reminder to yourself to wake up. Why not set yourself a wake-up call on your phones or a clock at home if you don't use your phone? Maybe you can set an alarm for 5.11. That's a reminder of 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. Now, you can choose whether you do 5 a.m. in the morning or 5 p.m. in the evening, or you can choose another time. But set a reminder on your phone and then pray that the Holy Spirit will wake you up to what he wants to do, that he will give you doors of opportunity, that he'll give us doors of opportunity and give us courage and imagination to step into them. As we end today, I think God actually wants to give all of us a chance to respond because you know what? You all matter, every single one of you, no matter how old you are, whether you are young, whether you are old, you are needed to stand with faith, hope, and love in this time. We all need to do it. So in a moment, I'm, I'm going to... Actually, we're going to do things a little bit differently today. The band are not going to come up to sing a song. We're actually going to have a song played um, uh, over the speakers. So there'll be a song that we'll play that embodies the heart of this message. Um, but before that song is played, um, I just want to give a sense of where I feel like God wants to call us to respond. So I think that maybe there are some people today, maybe in the room, or maybe you're listening, and you know that if you were to meet Jesus face to face right now, you haven't yet accepted the offer that he's given you to deal with your sin and to have a wonderful new life with him. So today you can do that. Maybe today you know that you have let unbelief and disappointment and fear settle in your heart. And the Holy Spirit is saying, I want to take that. I want to deal with that. I want to put faith and hope and love here. And actually, I think for some of you, there will be situations where you really need faith, hope and love for whatever situation you're standing in, either at work or maybe physically for healing. Um, we know that God has wonderfully healed Wendy this week. She has had a, 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 an ankle problem and God has healed her. So if you need like physical healing in your body, Wendy's going to be available to pray for you um, afterwards. Maybe when I was reading those statistics about the state of your, the world, you felt something in you rise up and go, this is not as it should be. Maybe God is calling you to get up and go into the dark. Maybe he wants to show you a bit of the dark and give you a solution to start to deal with that. And maybe today you've got friends and you, or family members and you know that they don't know Jesus yet. You know that they're still in the dark. They might be asleep. And you just really need to pray for them. You need to pray that the hope of Jesus will come and rescue them. And you need to pray that God will give you a door of opportunity so that you can come and share his good news with them. So we're going to, um, shall I close? Uh, no, we're going to have the song and then we need to close the live stream. Um, so we're going to play this song. So if you're able to stand, please stand and let's just ask the Holy Spirit to come. So if you stand and we play the song and as they start to play the song, I'm going to pray. 
And then if you want somebody to come and pray with you, come to the front. Because we would love to pray with you and stand with each other. So Holy Spirit, come. Please come. Because Lord Jesus, we need you. We need you. Holy Spirit, come. Put steel in our convictions. In Jesus' name, we welcome you. We welcome you. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. Why not come along and visit us? We gather at three services across two sites on a Sunday and meet during the week in small groups across the city. More information on both of these can be found on our website. Thanks for listening and God bless.